the Trust Bubble. I'm Chris Black. Thanks for joining. Always a fun time here because we don't sugarcoat our feelings. We just kind of say it like it is. Somebody just tweeted at me. I, I tweeted before about um, the DeFi Pulse top 10 and how I saw it. And really, there's only one trustless option. And two of the options on there can be drained right now by the core team, Ren and Harvest. And somebody replied, why do you hate Ren so much? And I replied, facts do not equal hate. Adversarial thinking does not equal negative sentiment. You know, if you're here watching, you probably understand that. Uh, we're going to get into some interesting topics today about the harvest exploit. Before I bring on uh, everybody who's in the waiting room, I just want to do a shameless plug. I've got a new blog called Surviving DeFi. Um, you can get 30 days free access if you go to that URL right there, survivingdefi.substack.com. I want to make this a really um, awesome resource for people who are non-technical, who want to feel safer in DeFi and get some really deep thoughts from deep in the crevices of my brain. But enough of that. Let's bring in, oh, we got an expanding panel here. So we've got Richard Hart, who is uh, joining us today. Hello. We've got the Ether. We've got Daniel, Nick, who seems to be a, uh, a man with no face, and uh, Naveen, who uh, has joined us before. Thanks, guys, for joining. We have a link in the chat. Meet yourself if you're, uh, if you're not talking. We have a link in the chat that I put in there. It's a StreamYard link, and anybody can join. We can have 10 people in here at a time. Um, so if anybody else wants to share their thoughts on the topic, click it, come in, um, etc. People saying there's an echo. In it, I, uh, it was probably my end, and I've stopped it. Or no, it's not my end, actually. I take that back. Nah, you sound great to me. have like an interesting organized chat because I'm pretty sure we can do that. Um, Harvest. So last time we did a live stream, um, this hadn't happened yet. And uh, I did that blog post. It was a coincidence. My blog post was about a different issue that could still happen, right, with the admin key. But coincidentally, then we had this exploit, which um, wasn't an admin key issue but it was related to the complexity of what Harvest is trying to do. So in a nutshell, what happened, in case you guys didn't dive into this, and Harvest actually put out a really good blog post that goes through all the details of it. But what happened here was similar to other exploits that we've seen in the past, where it's not about using the admin key in a nefarious way. It's not about the core team kind of like sneaking around um, uh, doing transactions that um, affect the code or the protocol in any way. It's about the protocol being used basically as coded, but in a way or with a, a level of speed or, you know, in a way that that's manipulative um, to, to basically drain funds. And what happened here and anybody can jump in to correct me if I don't get this right, because I'm not a developer and I'm just trying to understand as best as I can. But basically, in a nutshell, what the manipulator slash attacker slash whatever we want to call, maybe we should come up with that name during this chat too. But what they did was they developed a smart contract that would process 
uh, how many? I think it's like 17 transactions or yeah, 17 transactions uh, between Harvest and Curve that basically manipulated the price with such high frequency that nobody was able to notice it until afterwards. And in doing that, they just arbitraged the hell out of it and walked away with $24 million worth of crypto. Um, I'm trying to, to explain it in the most plain English ways possible. Any of you guys, like, can you guys attest to what I just said? Is there anything that's inaccurate? Uh, anybody in the chat? I'm trying to just get it down to the nitty gritty. I mean, I <laughs> and can... That's basically what it was. Like, there was no hack per se. There was no, you know, it was just using it in a way that's high speed to arbitrage and walk away with the funds. And then after that, obviously, they, they wash the funds or laundering the funds, whatever. I, I think um, I can do a but... good job of explaining it simply. Give it a try. In In trading... You take other people's money from them and they try and take your money from you. It's not the best thing in the world, but it's what most, most of crypto is. So if you sold Ethereum at $87 and now it's $400, did you perform an exploit? Did you perform a hack? No, but you lost a lot of potential money and someone else made that money. So every single time you have a trading system, so we'll take a very basic one that people might understand, a leverage position. Let's say that you go margin long Ethereum at $400. And someone decides to push the price down by selling their Ethereum. They push the price down by selling into it. And then they close their shorts. Or, or in this case, the margin long guy is going to get liquidated. So in, in, the, in the normal world of trading that everyone understands... If you can hold a price down for 30 minutes, you win your bet. If you can hold a price up for 30 minutes, you win your bet because time is what is used to prevent manipulation. Poorly designed by idiots, decentralized finance contracts are too stupid to do what legacy has figured out for 100 years and that you must include a time component to prevent manipulation or everyone will game the system and reap profit, which doesn't really help anybody. BZX has been hacked multiple times this way. Uniswap V2 built a feature to help people stop getting hacked this way and to use a time-weighted average price, just like legacy. But these DeFi idiots are too stupid to use it. And so what so they explain, have... Explain a time-weighted average price. Like, what sure. exactly? How do you... <clears throat> so you decide that you're going to... you're gonna. So, so first, let's, let's get this out of the way. People are going to try and demonize flash loans. If you're trying to demonize flash loans, you're stupid. Flash loans are just the same thing whales can do. They're giving you access to more capital. That's it. What a flash loan can't do is sustain manipulation because you have to pay the loan back at the end of the block, and the block is 13 seconds. So you can only manipulate price using flash loans for a few seconds. So if you're smart and do what Legacy figured out 100 years ago, you don't give a shit about flash loans because you can't manipulate the price for a prolonged period of time because if you try and push it somewhere it doesn't belong, another whale comes and beats up your arbitrage. It's just like, it's like people that think it's free to manipulate the price. If you try and manipulate the price and push the price up, a big old whale will come along and shove it back down and then you'll be just, you lost money. Now you've got to, now you've got to uh, like sell lower. Like it's, <clears throat> the solution to all of this crap is time-weighted average prices. And so what I'm hearing you say <clears throat> is that you don't think anything was done wrong here. Like you're saying you, that this you, is a traditional 
yes. tactic that's used in yes. trading every day. Yes. And, 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 and most like, of us, um, most <clears throat> of us, it's interesting the different angles to look at this from, and it's probably why there's such a clash of sort of ethics here, is like you are looking at this from the point of view of somebody who's obviously worked in or around trading at some point, you know, and sort of worked with traders or done your own day trading or whatever, and you see, oh, of course, like who isn't trying to move the price if they can? Like who isn't trying to manipulate it in this way or that way? Um, and that's basically what's happening here. And then on the other side is the DeFi crowd who's coming from the tech point of view who's like, well, we weren't really aware of this because we're not really so into trading as much as we are in development and just trying to figure out how to make this stuff awesome. And then these two worlds collide and it's like one side is like, of course this happened. And the other side is like, what a bad person this was who did, who did this to us. There, there's a solution to this. And the solution quite simply is getting more than one form of audit. So I'm not gonna name any names, but you can get contract audits that verify that what you think you designed your contract to do it's likely to do, but you can also get an economics audit. I'm not going to name any names, but I know a coin that has an economics audit that says that the economic game theory that you're trying to implement also works as you intend it to do. It's just like, well, you're not a developer. Certain tests don't catch certain failures. If you're doing unit tests, it doesn't catch business logic failures. If you're doing smart contract audits, it doesn't catch business logic failures. If you're relying on oracles, your oracle will lie to you and it's outside your control. So you can't develop around it. So any DeFi system that has admin keys or oracles is actually a centralized piece of shit and a giant huge risk. And crypto was designed to get rid of that. Crypto was designed to get rid of risk and get rid of counterparties. And the fact that people don't learn from 2017 ICOs, Mt. Gox, Quadriga CX, uh, BTCE, Cryptopia, OKX hasn't done withdrawals in weeks, and they have the largest cold wallet in the history of crypto, like several hundred thousand BTC. When are people going to learn? Not your keys, not your money. Do economics audits and game theory audits, uh, contract audits and game theory audits, and stop putting your coins in the charge of other people. It's disgusting. It's the opposite of why crypto was invented and how many hundreds of millions have to get lost. We couldn't you're, say you're all making, the hacks that happened this week in the time you're allotted. Making, you're making good points about the the actual you know solution and why this happened and what the flaws are in the existing DeFi projects. You want to talk ethics? Um, but like, <coughs> well, that too. Yeah, I think. Well, I'm curious, like, what some of these other guys think too, like Ether and you, know, you other guys. Like, what do you think? Um, first of all, I don't know if we can really dispute what Richard's saying, like, right. I don't know if it's about that, but it's more about like, you know, when we look at these attacks that are happening right now, um, where's, is there blame? Like, and is there, um, even though it's, it's doable from a technical point of view and, and, you know, it's not manipulating the code. Is there a, some sort of ethics involved here? Like if we were to figure out who it was, you know, from a ethical point of view, but also from a legal point of view, which I want to get into later, but what do you think, Ether? So I, it's totally a design flaw, in my opinion. I actually wouldn't even classify this as a hack. It's not like I was able to, you know, steal your password from your computer and log into your account and steal your funds that way. It was an exploitation of the rules that were written because of multiple different areas, including over reliance on a, a single oracle. So, it, it, in my opinion, it was very much. And exploitation. Now, that being said, you brought up the question about it being ethical. 
So uh, I want to bring up two points here. Market manipulation is against the law. There are, there are rules, there are regulations, there are laws to prevent market manipulation. In my opinion, in the U.S., DeFi, and I'm not a lawyer, but there are, some of these DeFi exploitations could be interpreted as market manipulation. Now, are the regulators at the point where they are going to enforce this, or at the point where they're understanding this? I don't know, but I do think in the future that some of these uh, exploitations can be interpreted as market manipulation. So that's. Point one. Point number two, why do these exploitations keep on happening? Simple. It's greed. Too many protocols, too many development teams, too many projects, too many influencers are pushing projects to maximize their own self-interest without going through the proper security processes to ensure that they're safe for end users. And, you know, I'm not a big regulation guy, but there are reasons why there are regulations in place in traditional markets. You have to go through a process before you issue a stock to the public, for example. You have to ensure that the markets are relatively safe for the people who are buying and selling your products. And with the absence of any sort of agency or accountability measure, you're going to see these things happen time and time again because the incentives are teams, let me release this project, influencer, let me push and pump this project. doesn't matter who gets hurt. We've made our money. We're good. Interesting take. And we had a chat comment here. This is an unregulated market. And here's the thing. It's not. It's not an unregulated market. Every market is subject to the same regulations in jurisdictions where those regulations exist. So No, no they're not. That's just entirely not true. What are you talking about? The, all of the relevant government agencies in the U.S. have said that all of crypto is subject to the same sorts of regulations as traditional markets until they're not. No, they're not. That's what are you, not what true. Are you alluding to? Well, I mean, first, it's Give obvious that, that there's different levels of regulation because there's different entities that handle those different levels. Let me name a few for you. FinCEN, money transmitter rules. Uh, what else do they do? Uh, the reciprocity rules. The, the travel rule in between exchanges where you have to know your customer and know the receiving customers, bank's customer, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's one level. What else do you have? CFTC, what do they regulate? Commodities, so what? Do, where do we see that in DeFi? People putting time limits on how long your order can sit on the book. So FinCEN is not CFTC, is not the SEC, and the SEC controls security tokens, public offerings, disclosures, and so, the concept that you think that there's regulation when you're dealing with a security that, so first of all, if you put your money into a common pool with the expectation of profit solely from the work of others, you are a security in the United States, period. So here we have this farm token and this farm guy controls the keys and this farm guy decides what gets added and what doesn't get added and, and sets $400,000 bounties for people that have hacked him. That is a lot of work from a person who's anonymous, I might add, because people put their money into a common pool. Hold on a second. People put their money into a common pool with the expectation of profit solely from the work of this guy or primarily, right? And is it, de is it sufficiently decentralized to quote the, the SEC's guidance? No, it's not. It's a fucking security. And do we see this all over crypto? Yes, we see this all over crypto because apparently people don't mind breaking the law. Some people have to follow the law and not make promises of future things and not launch unfinished garbage. 
launch fully audited complete things with no promises, no price forward looking statements like, oh, we're going to a million dollar Bitcoin and all that crap, right? To find projects like that are extremely rare. Uniswap would be one of them that Surprise launched and has very minimal admin key functionality. And I can't talk about the other one. <clears throat> there's a really good, and by the way, I accept that. And um, there's a really good thread from Gabriel Shapiro, who's a, a lawyer who's somehow related to crypto. I don't even directly know how, but he talks about this. I tweeted it before. I'll put a link into the chat here. But he talks about um, the different ways that this might have been considered uh, legal, illegal, you know, from that point of view. Uh, and he says, if you assume securities are involved, um, it could come down to a fraud slash manipulation thing. And it's a good thread. I highly recommend everybody read it. Um, so the, 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 by the way, the people question, that... and I, I, by the way, I accept what you <laughs> said there about um, me being incorrect about is this a regulated market in the same way that other markets are? Um, for me, it gets confusing. You know. the, the closest thing in this market would be, F, I didn't even cover it in my original uh, statement there. There's another layer for consumer protection, which is civil, mostly, just like the SEC is civil. It's not a criminal, they can't bring criminal charges against you. They have to refer that to the Department of Justice. These are civil entities. So the Where CF does fraud come in though? I mean, at some point, you know, isn't, isn't that's the state argument? attorney general would bring that case and okay. that would fall under uh, truth and advertising consumer protection um, it's I mean if, if you want to be realistic about this stuff there's the theory of what type of prosecutions could potentially exist and then there's a the reality of what's really going to happen so is this anonymous crypto found like in the history of crypto, no crypto founder has ever been to jail. It's not a thing. It's never happened. It's, it's very unlikely to happen as long as there's sufficient decentralization. Um, in this case, with an anonymous founder who, you know, I mean, if, if, you, if, if someone sold you a bad stove, it's very hard to make your money back. If, in, in crypto, to get a refund, it ain't never happened, dude. It's not going to happen. It ain't happening. Sorry. In a better world, maybe, but not in this world. So Eric, Naveen, <coughs> Daniel, and you guys have an opposing viewpoint as far as, or whatever your viewpoint is as far as like, was this, like, is there a different way we should be looking at this? Because I know like Richard and, and, and um, the Ether have been looking at it from the point of view of, hey, the code did what it was supposed to do. Um, but clearly there's another point of view that uh, people are using to look at this. And the question, I mean, I have no doubt that the person who manipulated and took the money knew in their heart that they were doing something unexpected, wrong, and they were going to injure people who were in the, in the, who had their money in the smart contract. Now I'll go to Naveen first because you're rolling your eyes and laughing at me. So give me your point of view. I'm sorry, I wasn't laughing at you, uh, but like you're Richard said, with me. Is, okay. There yeah. you go. <laughs> right. No, but like Richard said, this is a solved problem, right? Uh, putting your servers closer to the, S the NYSE servers near or in New Jersey isn't illegal. That's not market manipulation, right? What Soros did to the pound before they got to the ERM situation way back in the day, that was not market. That, was, that may be market manipulation, but like he didn't go to jail, right? Did he? No. So, so what are we talking about? Like, I'm sorry, uh, the ether. Uh, just let me finish. I'm sorry. Uh, 
we're talking about two things, right? Is the market manipulation in itself uh, illegal or is that like prosecution worthy? Probably not because they didn't br break any rules. They, they weren't like, th th this is not some ethics class where they're, they're gonna prosecute lack of ethics. Maybe if there was some stated like terms of service that says, oh, you can't arbitrage in this way, but you also can't arbitrage in that way, then it's fine, right? Uh, Patrick McKenzie from Stripe also has this great point of what flash loans uh, technically amount to, because what they technically amount to is a proof of uh, ability to finish this contract, right? I have X amount of funds, execute these, these, these steps. If it succeeds, give me back money plus whatever yield I've paid. If it fails, here are your fees to execute the, execute the transaction. That's what, that's all that is. So if the, like, the Computer uh, Fraud and Abuse Act, come on, really? I can, I, I can tell you that this is also already a solved problem. So, I mean, we're, we're dealing with what many people are considering flaws in code. Okay, well, do we have a way for dealing with flaws in code already? Yes, we do. Okay, what does that look like? It looks like bug bounty programs and responsible disclosure. Okay, well, what is responsible disclosure? Microsoft finds bugs in other people's stuff all the time. And how responsible disclosure works is when you find a bug in somebody else's stuff, you notify them through proper channels and you start a timer running. And that if they don't respond to you in 30, 60, 90 days, you start escalating what you're going to tell the public. And then once enough time has passed, they should have had it fixed. And if they didn't, you're going to release that knowledge to the public so the public can protect themselves because it's more and more likely that an attacker has become aware during that time frame. So responsible right. disclosure already is how you handle software bugs. And this is a software bug. Now, what's the difference in this ecosystem? In a normal software bug, your ability to monetize that bug is extremely limited. So if you find a way to screw up someone else's system, how are you going to profit from screwing up their system? And it's illegal to do so. Whereas in crypto, you've got pseudo anonymity, you've got unregulated markets, which is a feature, not a bug. You've got uh, <clears throat> this, this issue where if this becomes regulated, you lose all the efficiency because I'll go home and run it on Oracle AWS or Amazon AWS. So with, with crypto, let's say that he decided to responsibly disclose to these anonymous founders. The anonymous founders would just use the exploit and steal the money through a friend. Isn't it funny that Sushi launches instantly on a couple exchanges and then gets farmed by those exchanges to try and give centralized exchanges a foothold in DeFi so they don't lose their stranglehold and remain in the middle. Crypto is designed to get rid of middlemen and you keep seeing middlemen trying to get back in there, right? Which by the way, to a degree, is what most of these stupid projects are. It's middlemen, it's guys that control stuff. And if they don't come to work that day or the Oracle guy decides, hey, you know what? Let's change the price. Oh, we don't use one Oracle. We use two Oracles. Wow, now two guys change their prices on their servers. It's a criminal joke. It's so stupid. If you well, rely on Oracles, you're with, waiting with for failure. Keys, right, with, with <clears throat> God mode. It's such a, this is where it gets confusing because there's such a wide spectrum of, of different um, governance methods and lack of governance methods, et cetera. But the ones that do have God mode admin keys can do that. And related to what you said there about the, the friend who could 
um, do XYZ with the information provided by whoever developed the code. That's been, for me, a major point of concern. You know, as an adversarial thinker and looking at things like Harvest and things like um, the, the hacker Europe. gave them two point five million. Does that seem a little weird to you? It's, Doesn't that seem just like a little weird to you? That's calling card that hackers have been leaving for some that's, reason, right? With it's other, you know, thing happened with uh, ECM, EMC, EMN, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. But look, I mean, I, I, I've said it multiple times. Nobody knows the code better than the the developer. So, with that said, and this goes for Andre, this goes for the Harvest guys, this goes for anybody who's developing these really highly complex smart contract ecosystems you all eyes and this is you know this back in march this the same kind of exploit happened with one of andre's uh, contracts back in march of this year and i was sort of leading the charge about hey guys when it's so complicated that nobody can understand it except the developer and then some crazy liquidity exploit comes along that it would be really hard for anybody who's not super familiar with the code to understand or figure out of course you have to consider the developer as a potential suspect. doesn't mean that they did it. It means that you, you can't rule them out. You know, so, if, so now in this situation, when they have an admin key, in addition, to me, it's like, whoa, okay, pull out. Because that's a possibility for how this exploit went. Plus, they still have an admin key. They could shut down the website today. And while that website's down, just pull it all out. If you yeah, replace so the word complicated or complex and just replace the word high attack surface, you get more traction in the same number of words, basically. So what is Andre building? High attack surface contracts. Okay. Because that's what they are. When you, when yeah. you introduce complexity, you are going to get the shit attacked out of you. Software is hard. Financial software is even harder. Blockchain financial software is pushing the limits of hardest possible. It's like, you, you cannot treat this like move fast and break things. You will Richard, lose tell millions. tell your people to stop promoting Hex in here. Guys, I'm stop shilling Hex in here. here. It's, <laughs> I like having he know, Everybody here, knows that I'm here. They know what's up. You don't have to hit the chat, guys. Like, I let him don't wear spam the shirt, the chat. okay? That's all you're getting. <clears throat> yeah. I will take you all out. Yeah, I'm sorry uh, about so that. Dude. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, Eric, Daniel, we haven't heard from you guys yet. What do you think of this? Yeah. Um, one thing that I was interested in was that uh, Richard brought up that we already have mechanisms to defend against, um, you know, these sorts of attacks, uh, namely like bug bounties. Um, there wasn't like a bug bounty associated with Harvest Finance as far as I know. Um, but it got me thinking that bug bounties are these like public goods, right? Uh, it's things that everyone benefits from. So I was wondering like, what people would think of like having like Gitcoin, for example, help promote like bug bounties, um, because this would be something that's hugely beneficial to the system and would help prevent attacks like this from happening. But you would also have to have a sufficiently large bug bounty such that an attacker would take the bug bounty instead of executing their own, you know, arbitrage exploit. It, it can't hurt, but half the time white hat hackers that work hard to earn bug bounties get fucked over. It happens like half the time. You're a whitehead hacker. Somebody puts out a bounty. You work real hard. You find an exploit. You submit it. They bullshit you and say, oh, we already knew about it. Oh, yeah, you know, this, this isn't actually breaking, stuff like that. And so, like, whitehead hackers have just been abused 
rather often. And, and not only that, but the people that are in charge of paying the bounty slow play them and don't fix it and just keep it quiet anyway. And then the guy's sitting there quiet, waiting for the thing to get fixed and or get paid. And, and neither of those things happened for so long that he has to just go public with it. And all that happens, you have more insecurity for longer. I mean, you'd almost, what I have seen is white hat hack, like when the Dow happened on Ethereum way back when, and it, it, sometimes recently, some white hack hackers will go in and preemptively steal all the money instead of hoping that those guys do the right thing and then be like, all right, we secured all the money. Now let's talk, right? So that seems like the best way to go about it, but the even better way is to not have these hacks in the first place by writing secure code and having game theory audit and contra uh, contract audit. <clears throat> also with an anonymous dev team, I don't know that I would want to count on collecting a bounty from people who I don't know who they are or where they are or if there's more than one, if there's 10. So I, if I were a white hat, I would, I would and, and plus if I had the ability, this is where it gets into, for me, I don't fully understand why a white hat hacker in this case would try to collect a bounty from an anonymous dev developer rather than, and I understand morals and ethics, but rather than go ahead and just run an exploit, you know, because somebody who's that good of a hacker could probably figure out a way. The incentive is there financially for the white hat hacker to just go ahead and have a field day, right? Um, I, I, and I, know I got a question for you guys. On Twitter, I posited this out there and that, you know, white hats say, well, you know, we'd get caught, you know, there's ways to track it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I just look at the financial incentive and I wonder about these bounties. What is it, Richard? I got a question for you guys. Who lost the money? Depositors. Of what? Of stable coins in Harvest smart contracts is my understanding because they held the F USDC, whatever, you know, redemption token that they got when they deposited their stable coins. And that thing is my understanding of it. If you deposit your money in unaudited financial software, you're a retard. It's really that simple. Huh. Well, there's there's you know, no other what? way to it put it. It wasn't unaudited. Um, it was audited by TechShield and I forget what the other one was called. Hi I don't think those, like, like I've heard those guys made enough mistakes now that I'm not really putting weight on their name anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, but they're audited, man. You know, it's like the, the, here's the problem with Harvest, and this is what I alluded to in the um, post I put on Surviving DeFi, was that it was audited by two firms. They're on their website. Um, the firms, you know, publish the audit. It's right there in black and white. Both audits very clearly say admin key can be used to drain all your goddamn money. Uh, this was before they added a time lock, so it could have been done instantly. Before the time lock was added, they did not need to go through any delay. It could have just been, boop, a billion dollars, bam, into my wallet, right into their EOA governance admin key. Now, of course, the only concern is not dishonest developers. It's also, you have no effing idea how they're securing the one single <coughs> private key that can be used to drain the whole thing. So for all you know, and this is where it gets back to adversarial thinking, you have to assume the worst case scenario. The 24-word the mnemonic for that key could be laying, they could be using it as a coaster for their beer on their coffee table, you know, and, and people coming in and out. And you don't know. The problem is you don't know.
you don't know. Now, odds are it's probably like on a Ledger Nano. Maybe they've got it in their safe in their house. Nobody knows who they are, so who the hell cares? Yeah, but, but that's worse. Like, I mean, well, if you go to wallet.fail, you can read all about how to exploit uh, hardware wallets. So, you, like, right. and, if you, and if you pretend to have a multi-sig key, well, guess what? Maybe they're promiscuous and everyone really has all the keys. And then you just have multiple guys with the master key. So you have, yeah. like, uh, furthermore, what about test nets? You know, you used to be able to, like, test things before you launch them on mainnet and start sticking hundreds of millions of dollars in them. And sometimes you find bugs, right? Why not, you know, go a little bit slower? These, yep. the, if they put up a notice on their website that literally said in flashing red letters, we are going to steal all your money in 12 hours. I guarantee you they'd still take 40 or 50% of all the money because that's there's what, lag. That's what they like, do now. That's what, that's how meme, the meme coin started, right? It was like, you know, don't deposit here. Don't do this. Don't do that. It goes back to, did anybody, um, was anybody playing with, um, p3d back in the day um there was this there was this thing called p3d and it was basically anybody who knows what that was you know a couple years ago i guess it was around on ethereum and it was like this joke of a you know ponzi scheme they're like this is a ponzi scheme this is a pyramid scheme here's all the ways that we're going to scam you and but everybody knew it was a joke but everybody looked at the code and realized you know what this is actually it can work you know what they're doing here it's kind of like a game so people deposited but now every DeFi project or a lot of DeFi projects are modeling themselves after that model where it's like we're going to be so ridiculous it's almost like a parody of ourselves and then now there's this new degen mindset where it's like the more you tell them not to do it the more they want to do it right i, so I feel like that that's what that nfts are by the way NFT well, is Well, don't get you... off topic. Let's Sorry. not go too far. Yeah, let's not go too far. <laughs> Daniel, what do you um, what do you think about all this on the ethics side? And like, was it right? Was it wrong? Well, I agree from the start. It was a bit crazy. I'm amazed that a billion dollars got into Harvest. I mean, we're only talking back April, May. There was less than a billion in DeFi in total. And to some That's extent... a good point, man. <laughs> to, good... to some extent that they were lucky that it wasn't you know, done as much as it was. I think they drained something like 3% or something like that of the funds. I mean, it could have been a whole lot worse. But we've seen things like this before. We've seen attacks with, with BZX and, and that. They have listed some, like, possible fixes that they could they could make, but a lot of them feel like more like bodges to me than sort of actual fixes. I mean, you take the first one, for example, they're saying that they don't want to allow deposits and withdrawals to take place in the same transaction. But I mean, it could still potentially be done in multiple transactions. Yes, that will ban flash loans, but we've agreed that flash loans isn't really the problem. It just exposes the problem. It makes it easier. But that issue is still perfectly possible without it. So some of these fixes seem, yeah, more like bodges. And they've, I think they've reduced the ARB, ARB check as well that they're going to do. But again, it's just another bodge as opposed to a, an actual fix. So is it the case, like the flash loan was 50 million, I think, uh, USDC or Tether or something. But if somebody came in with that amount of money, as we, there's plenty of people that have it on Ethereum or funded a hacker, uh, they could have done the same thing without a flash loan. Am I Absolutely. right? Correct. Right. So it's not the flash loan's fault. <laughs> and for those who don't know what a flash loan is, it's very simple. It's, you know, it's a loan that you can take within one transaction you can take it out and pay it back within one so it's like think of it like bookends 
to a transaction that happens in the middle. You can do whatever the hell you want in the middle as long as you pay back the same amount at the end of the transaction. The whole thing takes a second, right, to process this entire transaction. Um, it can be any amount, up to the amount of liquidity that's in the pool, like at Uniswap or Aave or wherever you're pulling it from. So 50 million is like, who cares? You know, 50 million out, 50 million paid back, and every then you have 50 million you can do whatever the hell you want with in the middle to arbitrage or anything else you, you can imagine. And you have to pay a fee, but if, if you're pulling out that amount for a flash loan, the fee is more than paid for at the end, and that fee goes to the liquidity providers. Yeah, and if it but, doesn't work, it just reverts. Like if your strategy doesn't work, you didn't actually lose anything about except the gas. <clears throat> right, then the loan almost never got no taken risk. out in the first place. What was that, Daniel? Yeah, there's almost no risk to, to the person. In fact, even if you were going to do it with your own funds, you may want to code it in such a way where it reverts if profit is not made. And I would have thought that's perfectly possible in code just to prevent a change in circumstance, not allowing it or something, you know. Well, soon you won't have to worry about people doing this because the miners will front run everyone and do it. They'll just scan every transaction that people submit for positive EV, and then they'll place it themselves instead of doing it on behalf of the person that tried to do it. And then miner extracted value. We'll be having the same conversation about how much richer the miners are getting instead of these guys that are working from home having to noob submit through their normal client. <clears throat> yeah. I presume this has already happened to some degree. I'll put the I'll put the contact for all these guys in the in the description afterwards. So um, thanks for the comment, Alex. So I'm like I thought I was gonna have more people on here that had the other take because there's when you look at Twitter and you look at what everybody and you read the media articles and you read everything about this particular exploit, all you read is about people who've lost money. This is terrible for DeFi. You know, oh my God, God help us. You know, the world's falling apart. Uh, everybody here, you know, sort of has the point of view that, hey, the code worked as expected. Um, this is just, this is intended. Like maybe there's fixes for it. We should be looking at those. But what do you think about the fallout from all these things? And Richard, I, I'm sure you, I'm all, I almost want to exclude you from this because I know that you're kind of negative on DeFi as it is. But like- I'm not negative on how, DeFi. I personally made Uniswap popular. I kicked off the DeFi revolution. Sorry. I don't mean to characterize you in any particular way, but I know your answer to this is, I kind of can predict it. The, the fallout from this for DeFi, is it going to keep people from wanting to use these things? Is it a good thing that that happens? Do we want to build up fear? Do we want to build up, you know, from my point of view, um, I, it sucks that people lost money and I don't like seeing people lose money. And I, I, I think that there's a lot of degenerates in Harvest, but there's probably a lot of people who just kind of followed along and were like, hey, let me try this, you know, it's interesting. Um, so I don't like to see that, but I also think this is the way we have to learn. We have to fall down and scrape our knees over and over and over. Um, the problem is that like you read the block and you read other crypto sites, you know, that are spreading news and getting syndicated out there on Google. And it, not all this information is there. It's not saying like this is building resilience in this space. It's not saying that this is going to help us grow bigger and better. It's saying DeFi is hitting all of these problems. So is that good or bad for the long-term prospects? I think in the long term, it's got to be a good thing. Flash loans have proved to be a powerful tool in stress testing a lot of these contracts. It's one of the core tenets of DeFi that these sort of issues strengthen these contracts, unlike banks where any attack sort of weakens them. 
that a lot of what's been done has really it's been positive long term. But I mean, clearly in the short term, those people that, that are now short what their share of $25 million is, they're clearly not going to be very happy at that. But it could have been a lot worse. So I think in the long run, this will be a positive thing. I, I think else? people are going to FOMO whatever they think is going to make them rich and they do not care about security. They do not care about the long tail risk of everything. Like people have proven to just not care because we, how many hacks have we seen this month? Tons and tons and tons and no one cares. Like it just, it doesn't matter to people. <clears throat> so how do we fix that? I mean, I can tell you from my point of view because I've been, you know, I, I all I do is scream about this stuff and <clears throat> from my perspective over the last two three months my take has has gotten more traction like there's been more people listening just the fact that i have this live stream people show up like all we do is talk about trust requirements and what are the risks associated with these things as opposed to you know dgen dgen fomo fomo ape into bullshit you know it's like we talk about the other side of it and it's almost like we're trying to talk ourselves out a lot of times of using products you know because and for me it is about that i look at it like when i went to find out about harvest admin key i wasn't going there to look for um something to publicize that's negative i was going there to s decide if i want to use it <laughs> I went there to say, should I be trying Harvest? You know, what's the deal here? And then I see this information and I share it and, you know, everybody's, everybody wants to know that. But, um, you know, you should so almost it, never use a new thing. You're going to lose, like, new equals risky, period. I don't care how many well, audits you I get. When I say use, you know, if I want it, <clears throat> what I was in, what I like to do with new products like this is maybe put $100 in. And I want to look at Etherscan. I want to see what's happening to my money. And I want to see it. So I want to learn about it from that regard. You know, so it's not like I'm putting my life savings in any anything in DeFi. Um, but that, that's what I mean. When I, but I have the answer to your question on how to prevent this from continuing to happen. Mm -hmm. You've only got three options to prevent people from getting scammed. One, you could yell at them. And we know that doesn't work. Because I've done lots of yelling, you've done lots of yelling, people before us did lots of yelling. People were bragging about a uh, 75,000 Bitcoin transaction, a billion dollar Bitcoin transaction yesterday. And I have to tweet, hey guys, you know this breaks a security model. You can't do this. You're, you're, not, you're, rel like you're relying on the goodwill of people. It's profitable now to roll back the chain 40 days. Don't do that. I'm just quoting, uh, who's the guy that invented the smart contract term? I always forget his name. Nick Zabo. Zabo, Nick Zabo. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, people, they don't listen to Nick Zabo. He said that the last time somebody did that type of transfer, how stupid it was and how you shouldn't do it. But people don't listen. So they do it again and then they get rewarded and they get pressed for doing the wrong thing. You're like, wow, no one's listening. No one's paying attention. No one cares. Okay. So yelling at people doesn't work. Okay. Well, what's our other two options? Legal enforcement. Let's empower the, the regulators and the enforcement agencies. Guess what? It doesn't work. Why? Because they only act after the fact. And after the fact, no one gets any of their money back. So how good is that? Hey, look, you got scammed and all your money's gone, but now this guy goes to jail for a while. And now you're both screwed and we have to pay for that guy to sit there in jail. Everyone loses. Okay, so enforcement's not working. And by the way, a lot of countries, even if they could do perfect enforcement, they can't afford it. 
Try, try and get good law enforcement for crypto stuff when you can't even get good murder law enforcement in a lot of countries. So yelling doesn't work and law enforcement doesn't work. Okay, well darn, uh, what's left? Here's the option that I'm popularizing that no one else is talking about. You have to get your message in front of those people's eyes and get them into something safe so that they don't have their money free left over to get into a scam. If you leave their money in their hands, they will get scammed out of it. You have to get them into something safe earlier, whether that for you is an S&P 500 index or, you know, a blue chip cryptocurrency or something that has good audits and a, and a, a face to put behind it and some reputability and, you know, social proof, whatever you're using to act as a heuristic for who is safe and good, right? That's it. That's the only thing that scales because... The scammers are out there with marketing budgets and big parties and celebrities and all this crap. And what are they doing? They're selling scams. But what about the honest projects, the honest projects that show higher ROI and aren't scams? What if we just shoved those behind the same marketing messages and then people's money got into real things that they didn't lose? It's, it would be better for everybody. The market caps would be higher. There'd be less volatility. Like everything would be better. So the only thing that scales, if you want to save people from getting scammed, is getting their attention and their focus and the mind space and mind share onto things that are good. Because doing the counter anti thing, it never works. It never, ever, ever works. How many people have hated uh, projects and watched them go to the top 10? Happens all the time. I think what Chris has done has been exceptionally effective. And I think one of the things that we need to be doing is we need to be holding these teams accountable, accountable for what's effectively happened with it, what they've created. And there's this culture that's emerged in the past few months that testing and prod is the cool thing to do. That's not the cool thing to do. We shouldn't be lionizing projects that launch a product that hasn't effectively been tested. And, you know, all the memes, et cetera, because people made money off of certain projects that were able to release and there weren't major exploitations found with those projects. All of a sudden, that's really become the norm, in my opinion. It's a lot of these DeFi projects where there's a lot of releases that just haven't been thoroughly tested. And we need to culturally make that very clear that testing and prod is not the cool thing to do. I agree. And Richard, I don't, I don't know if I really fully buy into what you're saying about trying to almost like distract people with good stuff, you know, so they don't put it in bad stuff. How do you feel about Craig Wright? Irrelevant. Uh, because, um, he's, he's proof. I don't want to waste my breath. Let me finish my thought <clears throat> before I forget it. Uh, what was my thought now? Okay. So I don't know if I buy into that because if you look at other parts of life, you look at people who are gambling, you look at people who use drugs, you look at people who do all sorts of self-destructive things. They're in the same, you know, I'm of the opinion that we're not going to be able to save degenerate people who know exactly what they're doing. They know they're putting money into into risky things that might end up badly and they're doing it and they're doing it brazenly because it's like it's their money and they're a gambling addict and they have mental problems and that's their thing. I don't think we're ever going to be able to solve that. The only people I want to talk to are the ones that have a brain in their head to know better. And I think that those people are receptive to 
um, information, you know, to just knowing, you know, to, to knowing the facts and knowing what's good and what's bad. I'm antitrust when it comes to crypto and open blockchain. There should not be a need to trust, but I do think that there are messages about that stuff that people need to be able to trust. I agree hundred so percent. And I, and yeah, I try so as hard as I can, but it just doesn't scale because the scammers have a marketing budget and you and I, we don't have a marketing budget for that speech. So they're out there buying ads to get people under their scam garbage and they're making fake telegram channels and they're spamming the heck out of people. And you and me, we just have the few people, you 10 K people follow you, uh, 65 K follow me and that's it. That's nothing. Right. And, and then our voices, we're doing the right, honorable, honest thing. There's no profit in it for us. I'm not making any money by helping people not get scammed. Right. You're not making money that way. You, you could be like one of these influencers that just picks the shit coin of the day and, and go get rich doing that. But you chose the more honorable thing to do to try and help people, but it just doesn't scale, you know? So I love it. It's wholesome. It's amazing. It's honest. You should continue to do it. But if you want to scale, you got to be able to buy ads. I don't know how we got ads. here in this, in the conversation. Um, I don't consider us to be doing the same thing. Um, this is probably a different live stream though. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm the one that's advertising I, to stop doing billion dollar Bitcoin transactions and split them up. And I'm the only one doing right. that. It's just me. Did anyone else do that? No, I'm the only guy trying to get people to use Bitcoin properly. And if people fuck up the Bitcoin network, all of crypto will pay hell. The fact that Bitcoin doesn't yeah. have security audits means that Ethereum is at risk. Ethereum's price is at risk because if Bitcoin has a, a critical flaw, we're all fucked. So someone should crowdsource that. You want to do something on Gitcoin? Put up an audit uh, Bitcoin bounty. I, I probably even donate to it. <clears throat> right, right. Let me, and again, like, I think that there's an important, um, important thing to, to be said here about how we approach the issue in the space, you know, and I think that for me, the way that I go about it is I want to share information that I feel like is important about projects that I feel like are doing things, I don't want to say incorrectly, but dangerously and recklessly, because I want people to be aware that if they put their money here, it's not as safe as they think. And it's astonishing to me all the time how many people come into this space and just start plowing money in without realizing what an admin key even is, you know, or what, you know, what the risks are that are involved. I, I do foresee in the future a um, oversight, some sort of third party oversight that has to happen. I don't want it to be government. I don't want that. I think it should be independent. I think maybe there could be multiple, you know, it could be multiple parties that are uh, conducting the oversight, but there's got to be a layer between what's going on on the protocol, what's going on with the development and what users are doing, because the majority of users are never, ever going to understand the code. They're never, ever going to understand um, any part of it. They're not going to look at Etherscan, you know, as this thing gets more and more uh, wide, you know, adoption. And you see companies like PayPal coming in and like, you know, offering, you know, if Coinbase starts offering DeFi services, you think they're going to be um, linking to bits of code and stuff like that? No, they're going to be doing the oversight for you, right? Because they're, they have an interest in it. So I think that education is the way to go. And I think that awareness and, uh, you know, it's, it really is, is similar to the internet in that regard. You know, it was, um, a lot of oversight happened, but a lot of it was just knowing, like now people know what scams look like. They know not to click on the links in their emails. They know X, Y, Z. And obviously not everybody knows it, but the ones that do succeed. 
So um, there's progress on this uh, called DefiSafety.com, where a guy that did uh, process analysis for aerospace basically goes through different projects and looks at their audits and sees that the code that was audited matches the code that's actually on the blockchain, sees whether tests were done. And so it's not retard mode. You do have to have a little bit of brain, like, you know, the kind of ether scan level of brain. So if you go to DefiSafety.com, you can see projects that have got zeros and you can see projects that have got higher numbers. So there is some progress in that area. I don't know of any other project that's, that's really trying to rate the safety of DeFi things. Right. Yeah. I, I went down that road. I, I tried to, you know, I started um, DeFi Watch, which was really around like, is there an admin key? Is there not? And, and now it's gotten so hazy um, because there's so many different elements. Like to me, some of these governance DAOs that exist are just as dangerous as, as multi-sig admin keys because of the way that they're set up and the way that there's distribution of the tokens. And, and for me, it keeps evolving. Like now I think after seeing uni and, and some of the like maker DAO and stuff like that, um, and how they've done governance, I'm starting to realize like, why do we even have tokenized governance? You know, because tokenized governance just encourages more and more bad things to happen with a lot of these protocols because people want to vote money into their own pockets. So it's, well, getting that, it's not just me. that, but they're not like, do you want your barber to vote on how your plumber should do their job? Do you want plebs that bought bags voting on any technical issues whatsoever? No, because they will do a terrible job of it. Asking retards for their opinion on things is a recipe for failure. If you want technical opinions, you need technical votes, period. <clears throat> right. Also, so Adam right. Asked, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Naveen. No, what are uh, proxy wallets doing here? They're just sitting pretty? If, why doesn't MetaMask have a link with uh, the DeFi safety project or things like that? It, that would be a huge education. It's too new. It's, it's, it's very, very new. We're talking like weeks it's old. New no, no, it's, I agree. Uh, what I was just alluding to, too, is it's subjective to a certain extent. I think what's important to some people might not be as important to other people. Some people, like for me, trust issues are the most important. If there's an, ad, an admin key... Uh, even when it, like Compound had an admin key, a lot of people said, well, they're a reputable company. It's like putting money in the bank. It's like using Coinbase. What's the difference? For me, that's like, no, I don't want to use anything with an admin key. You know, so it's there's still a lot of subjectivity as far as what's good and what's bad. A lot of people have no problem, for whatever reason, using Harvest Finance with an anonymous developer somewhere in the world with an admin key. For me, and probably everybody here, like that's a bad thing, but a lot of people are fine with it, right? So it's like from that as one extreme and then the other extreme, you know, is like Uniswap, full trustlessness. For me, I think trustlessness is the way to measure. You know, I'm not, I don't think I Uni's trustless at. anymore, lightly. They took a one-inch list off their exchange. So one-inch list used to be there, and then it disappeared off, off their front the end. UX, off the and now, now they've got the work of a human controlling the UX, tokenized. So money goes into a central pool with the expectation of that guy who's going to manage the UX for what gets default put there, right? For the expectation of profit. Everyone loved Uniswap because it launched without a token. Because another Uniswap that was supposed to exist called Bancor didn't do any of the things as well as Uniswap did. Uniswap did it with a hundred grand. Bancor raised 150 million. Oops. So Uniswap crushed Bancor. Everyone was very happy about it. And then Sushi came and Vampire attacked them with a, a duct taped on token. And then Uni had to respond with her own duct taped on token. And it's just, it's hilarious to me that the hypocrisy 
of people that go, you know what, tokens are the worst. And you're like, okay, great, no token. And then people are like, please, please give us a token. And then they give the token and it instantly launches everywhere for free, right? Like the hypocrisy in this space is just insane. It's crazy yeah. to me. The, the thing about, first of all, I don't think we're mature enough yet in the DeFi space to be able to include UIs in our measure of trustlessness. Like, so, so none of them, there is no DeFi that, first of all, okay, it's so existential, right? If you think about it, like, why are we including UIs in the measure of trustlessness if it's a decentralized project at all? Okay, so when you look at Uniswap, there's probably 50 different UIs that people can access it through that are publicly available. Um, so Uniswap's hosted one by Uniswap Inc. is the one that most people use, but that's not the only one you can use, right? So I typically don't include the UI in my determination of is it a trustless protocol or not for that reason but you have to that being said you have to well, because normal people can't said, use it without the ui well correct without a ui right without some UI. So decentralization and, of the ui infrastructure is vitally important for sufficient decentralization to not be a security yeah but and for user if security if somebody created a, a another uniswap ui right now uh, a user or whoever, somebody other than the company, and they marketed it well, and it was better and more efficient and just more fun to use, it would succeed and it would work and it would be owned by somebody else other than Uniswap Inc. Like there's no reason that you have to use Uniswap's UI as opposed to somebody else's hosted UI or uh, IPFS hosted UI. So, so, so my point is, if like we're talking about this farm thing on topic, right? If Farm uh, decided that, hey guys, we're getting DDoSed, our server's down, and then they change the contract and they take the billion. Yeah. Well, what were you gonna you know, do? Even if you noticed, you're like, oh crap, they're, I see that they actually up, they're gonna take all my money now, but you don't have a UI to interact with. What are you gonna do? Right. If you don't know a, you have a backup plan, you're screwed. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, people who know can, you know, can work directly with the contract or go to Etherscan and do calls there. But people who don't know, which is 99%, uh, will not be able to. Um, so for every, every DeFi project, if you're a true supporter of a DeFi project and you know how to build user interfaces, build a backup, you know, build a backup of, um, of the UI for the projects that you like, because trust me, one day it could come in really handy. One of the most popular videos I have on YouTube is how to use compound without the UI. What if the website goes down? What if it's gone? And this is back in the day when we just had like compound DYDX, you know, like then you, you know, you get crazy Andre stuff coming along and harvest and stuff like that. And it becomes so much more important. Um, one day, maybe we'll have a, a trusted third party that whenever something hits the top 20, on DeFi Pulse, they throw it up on their, you know, on a trusted UI because that's the other problem. Like, how do you know what to trust? Like, if there's 50 UIs for Uniswap, half of them are probably scammers that are pointing to different smart contracts, right? I, it's like, so it's such a complex There's issue. also bad design. So there's bad design patterns that you run into all the time. A very common bad design problem where I see people losing money is people design their dApps to require you to give permission for some contract to spend your money. Uniswap does this. A lot of contracts do this. Now, how much, how much money do they ask for permission for? 
infinite. Okay, so now you've authorized some smart contract somewhere to spend all of your money. Okay, well, what's the risk? The risk is that in an underhanded way, he updates that contract with a new variable that says, hey, actually, when this contract gets run, instead of paying the guy that ran it, pay me. And this happens yep. all the time. Some contracts are better designed where you don't ever authorize a contract to spend your money and you use the message sender authorization every time and it's, it's better, it's seamless, and you don't have that attack vector where you're training your users to say yes to every stupid dap and then one day they say yes to the wrong dap and they lose all their money forever. Like you try and deposit your ETH real quick to, to get some other coins out, instantly emptied before you can even fight the attack. Yeah. I'm so tired of seeing that one. Absolutely. I think we should do a, a different... Um show about those like risk factors attack vectors that people every single DeFi user is subject to that kind of attack it has nothing to do with an admin key it has nothing to do with any other manipulation it's all about you know you're giving that approval on the but token and i i know i know a coin that doesn't need that so it's get just a bad here. design I'll system you right out of here all right so <clears> let me get back to <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to, um, before we wrap up, we got way off topic. And I just want to throw one more question out there. As far as everybody that's been here talking, like nobody thinks that the, um, like everything sort of worked as it was supposed to. The code did what it was intended to. Um, as we discussed for a moment, the person that ran that contract and manipulated the price so that they could pull the funds out the way they did knew and if anybody disputes this let me know but they knew that they were a step ahead of everybody else they knew they were going to walk away with a lot of money um i could be wrong i could be wrong but i would think that if they didn't we would have seen a trail of broken transactions before that right that were reverted like they knew when they did this like it was gonna probably work so is there any ethical obligation in DeFi, period? Um, you and I and everybody here doesn't go out and do, do things. We don't walk into stores, uh, you know, and stick things into our pocket and walk out because we know there's a threat of repercussion, right? It's illegal. But we also have a feeling that, that it's unethical. So is there without revealing my own feelings on this, but is there any obligation that any user should have um, to report that kind of thing rather than just run it themselves and take the funds? Report it to whom? To the developer. And Come there, on. of course, lies the problem because then the developer could go, ah, thanks for that exploit. I'll, I'll take it from here. And exploit themselves. Yeah, and exploit it themselves. Potentially that could happen. Now, hopefully the project is you know trustworthy and maybe you know the person and that but when we're talking with harvest we don't know the person that made the project so it makes it even easier and of course anyone can generate multiple ethereum addresses they don't have to make it look like it's they could i.e not make it look like it's them um and of course we saw that they they tipped the two and a half million back which is most unusual i mean it's either it shows that it's an inside job or made to look like an inside job or they just tip them for the bad code. I mean, no one, <laughs> it could be any any of those three, right. really. 
Right. Yeah. It's, uh, this person, how can your ethics be affected when you don't risk your identity? That's what I'm getting at here is that, and it's really, for me, it's a very interesting philosophical question. When you're running an attack like this or a manipulation or whatever you want to call it, even if you're, you know, let's say you're in trading and you're working with penny stocks and you can move the price a certain, there's probably laws about this, right? Different market, but, um, there's that feeling of, you know, like you're, you know, you're about to, to take people's money when they're not expecting it. They're playing by a different set of rules. They're naive. You know, it's like taking candy from a baby, right? It's kind of like that. It's not illegal to take the candy from the baby, but it feels like shit. It's definitely so, illegal to take candy from the baby. That's just basic uh, theft. Would you, it depends on what country you're in. Okay. I'm sure there's countries where it's perfectly legal. So if you're the parent, um, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So like my, my position on this is if you, if you're a trader, it's very highly likely that you're okay with stealing other people's money anyway, because that's your mission. Your mission is you're going to take that guy's money on the other side of the computer screen. You're on your screen, eyes bloodshot, looking at charts. He's on his screen, eyes bloodshot, looking at charts. And you're trying to take each other's money, usually. Now, I would say this would be an exception, because I think liquidity providers do provide efficiency it is totally open what they're doing. It is automated. Like I, I think that liquidity providers getting jacked in this particular case isn't the nicest outcome because if it was just like spy versus spy, trader versus trader, and you're both trying to screw each other into oblivion, well, then you're like, all right, you knew the game when you signed up, you know? So right. I, 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 I yeah. think that I'm the way people lose money is trading. <clears throat> okay. Anybody else? Oop. Are there any ethics in DeFi, period? <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Who decides what's a good ARB, ARB opportunity? Who decides? This is good ARB, that's bad ARB? What's that? Well, you know, that was a question I was planning to ask if anybody here had any morals at all. No, I'm just kidding. If anybody here thought <laughs> oppositely, you know, I was going to ask, like, where's the line? Where's the line between an acceptable ARB uh, you know, strategy and one that's not acceptable? But what I'm hearing here, which is kind of in line with what I've been thinking, um, is that they're all acceptable. If the code allows it, the code is law. And the I do think it's unethical. I just want to say, I do think it's unethical. Like, what, I knew what, the guy with the hipster beard would. That's that. Go ahead. Unethical from my perspective. So Explain. ethics are largely subjective. Largely. There are some exceptions, but I think ethics are largely subjective. And I, therefore, in because large, ethics are largely subjective, it gets to your point, there needs to be either a self, you know, if we don't self-regulate or figure out how to self-regulate, someone will come in and regulate this for us because this will consistently happen if we do not figure out a way to curb this sort of activity from occurring. So as soon you as you regulate blockchains, you can just turn them all off because they're just part, the world's slowest database. I, I agree with that. Which part is unethical? Like what's, what's once again, I'm not saying should or shouldn't. I'm not saying what I'm saying is we need to figure out a system because whether I agree that it, should happen that governments come and regulate us if we don't try to create our own system that succeeds they will come in and regulate us it's inevitable too many consumers will be hurt there will be too much public outcry in democracies there will be too much call for action against this emerging sector they will without a doubt come in and regulate us if we do not figure out the situation I, this isn't a solvable I, problem the level of complexity is too high like the turing problem states that you cannot know whether a program is going to halt unless you just run it. There's no way to predict whether it will halt or not. And a lot of the, the high attack surface complex contracts that you see, 
even if you got the world's best auditors to spend several man weeks on it, which would cost you $100,000, and you got game theory audits, which would cost you maybe another 30 or 50 if you could find people qualified to do them, now you're still going to run into the bugs that they just didn't find, and you need the passage of time as well. And even if you passed all the regulations in the world, which there is regulated software out there, there's still bugs found all the time. Bugs are life and code, so the best you can do it's is the best perfection. effort. It's about reduction. It's not about perfection. It's not sure. even perfect institutional markets we have. It's about reducing the amount of times this happens through I, my preference is self-regulatory action. There's, there's no way you're going to come with 150K to get a reasonable right. amount of diligence done on each project. There's just not enough auditors in right, the world right. as well. There, there are not enough security auditors breakers. in the world. You could Cir get circuit breakers. Yeah, yeah, just like regular markets. Break the circuit. It moves, I don't know, tenth of a percent. It moves, I don't know. That's the, the fee is 0.3% already. I mean, sure, but like whatever it is, right? And get a circuit breaker. It's, it's, this regulation will stop all blockchain activity. Come on. There is legitimate activity to be had, right? It's just currently there's too much greed. That's all. Would this, would this manipulation have even been possible without the, and the other ones we've seen too, without the liquidity provided by regulated stable coins like USDC, Tether? Yeah, they could cetera, have done it with, they chose to do it with those. They could have chose to done them with many other coins. It was not specific to the stable coins. I do think that um, what the Ether alluded to about potential regulation is important to understand. And even if, like, I'm straight up <laughs> anti-regulation in, in so many different ways, libertarian, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I feel like we should be able to figure this out on our own should be left alone to do it. But the reality of the world is if these guys use their admin key to pull a billion dollars out of this thing and walk away, do you not think that there's going to be a congressional hearing like in a couple months and it's going to start to, um, <laughs> they do not give Are a shit. Are you kidding me? If people, they do not if, care. If they didn't care about ICOs. They care about things where they can make an impact. I mean, the guys that do this stuff, if you work in a regulatory, they you care about two Coinbase. things. And that wouldn't affect anybody. That that had nothing sure. to do with this. These are com Coinbase competitors. In fact, in fact, we're too small. We're too small right now. So you know, they're not going to care right now. Potentially, right now. if a billion was taken, maybe that gets a notice. But look, let's say what we all think I think is going to happen, and this market continues to grow. We continue to get more mainstream adoption. More people use more applications, and then something even worse happens because of our cultural norms and of our norms surrounding getting uh, effectively code out there that isn't self-regulated or tested, et cetera, they will without a doubt come after us and without mm -hmm. a doubt come after the industry. It becomes infeasible for democratic politicians who are elected by pop populists to not attack the thing that has dramatically affected their populations. I, I, can, I can prove that that's not true with a real world example, all right? What are two of the most powerful lobbying agencies in the history of Earth? The Motion Picture Association of America, the MPAA, and the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA. And who do they represent? Every musician, and every movie making studio, and everybody in Hollywood. And, and who do the people in Hollywood hang with? Every politician, okay. And what don't they like? A certain software. There's a certain software that they very much don't like, and it's called BitTorrent. And they very much don't like BitTorrent. And how, how well has the MP, MPAA and the RIAA fought and attacked and killed BitTorrent? 
fuck all. Absolutely nothing. Okay. So don't worry about it. It's not happening. Let's go over even a bigger example. When did the United States securities laws get implemented and passed? hundred years ago, roughly with, 90 years I ago, with all the scams that were going on in the stock market, our entire financial regulation system didn't even exist prior to the stock bubble crash and all the fraud that came out within our financial system post the major run up in the 20s and various people such as Ivor Kruger coming under that scrutiny and being caught as fraud. It's going if it gets big enough. It's going, and there's a crash or there's fraud and people get hurt, it will inevitably happen where the government feels like they have to step in. I, I, I welcome everyone getting better outcomes from regulatory effort and endeavor. But if you start getting regulators involved with open source software, the world's fucked because the regulators exactly. aren't going to do a good job of it. <laughs> I think that's what we're all saying. I, agree. I think that, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that it's important to, to recognize too that with all the centralization and all the admin keys and all the the ways that um, the government could potentially force founders that are you know the the most reputable projects like Compound and MakerDAO and other ones that do operate within a U.S. jurisdiction, um, those those opportunities to change things are probably there for a reason. I think that a lot of these projects are expecting to get the knock on the door at some point, you know, and to expecting to say, Hey, we need you to implement KYC. You know, we got terrorists that are laundering money through here. We need to, we need to shut them down and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we need to freeze these die addresses. You know, I think that there's an expectation and there's, uh, they all have regulatory knowledge. All these projects know what's going on, you know? So that's been a major concern of mine is like, are these, are these little nuggets of backdoor being left there just in case like because we don't want to go to jail if we can't make this change when the regulators come calling um unknown unknown but it is i mean it's a fact of the matter like you do not we do not want to enter a situation where we have tons of governments looking at DeFi at this point we would be completely screwed you know and yes it's true that uniswap is unstoppable and BitTorrent uh is unstoppable but there are plenty of connecting products that make Uniswap what it is. Screw those you know, guys. Screw all those screw centralized them. guys. Screw them. They're what's wrong with crypto. Crypto is designed to get rid of middlemen, get rid of counterparty risk, increase efficiency. If what you're doing is not censorship resistant, you shouldn't be doing it on a blockchain. It's the world's slowest and most expensive database. We have to run your own computer to verify that the data didn't get forked off or orphaned. It's terrible. If you're not sufficiently decentralized and you're not robust and you can't withstand kicks to the door, you need to get out of crypto because people are going to lose millions with you due to hacks, due to coercion, or due to, to bad code. Like it's just, it is the opposite of why crypto was invented. I agree with that. I, I definitely agree that it's the opposite of why crypto was invented. Um, and I think that one of my big problems with DeFi so far has been all the most successful projects have been built uh, by companies that are seeking profit. They're startups. They raise capital. Um, they you know, promise their investors X, Y, Z. Um, the only reason governance tokens are a thing right now are to develop exit strategies for investors and founders. Like, that's it. You don't need a token in order to have governance 
And it's like everybody thinks that now. Like you need a token. If there's no token, how can you possibly govern this thing? You don't. I love that token. video you posted, Ben, of Andre coming out and saying, "Listen, we built a bunch of Ponzi's based around this new stupid token that there's no reason to buy called governance." His words, literally. I loved that you posted that video. Loved it. I mean, yeah, I just saw it and said, "This is interesting" because he said it. You know, and it's like he knows. He knows exactly what what he's doing what he's selling etc so i think he's in the same category as any other commercial entity that comes into the space that wants to seek a profit i think we need more i think we need more anonymous developers first of all not less more i'm totally supportive of anonymous developers i don't think anonymous developers should be asking for a trust which is what harvest is doing you have to trust them why the hell would you trust an anonymous developer you know, you could be, maybe you're just a kind-hearted person who wants to trust everybody, but somebody who you have no idea who they are, where they live, what they're like, you know, uh, if they're a criminal or not, like what their story is. And by the way, I think the Harvest Finance Anonymous devs are probably, especially based on the blog post they wrote, the postmortem, I think they're, I think we know them. I think they're in the community. I think we, if we saw their names, we would probably recognize them. Um, but as DeFi grows, that's that's going to change. You're going to have a lot of people with bad intentions that learn how to write in Solidity that come in here. You know, and they're already doing it with the pyramid schemes and you see all those Russian websites. It's like, you know, gambling sites and stuff like that. Of course they're going to start doing this. And of course people are going to use it. And of course people are going to lose money. Um, but yeah, I forgot what the point I started on was. Uh, but <laughs> that's my take. Let's wrap this up pretty soon. Well, appeal um, appeal to like authority is not the way you're supposed to do trustlessness or security. The guy that Madoff who ran the biggest scam in the history of scams ever in human history, he used to be CEO or chairman of the board of the New York stock exchange. You couldn't possibly have a better credential and he screwed everybody. So I, I don't like yep. appeal to authority or popularity, like replacing trustlessness. The biggest problem we have right now, is that these DeFi projects are building from to allegedly move towards decentralization. And the problem there is decentralization, moving in that direction is always you give up efficiency, you give up profit, it's expensive, it's messy. No company wants to make their process less efficient or more expensive. Uh, it's impossible to justify as a business owner outside of, okay, we promised this in the beginning. So when you try to move from centralization to, and I'm not talking about like Bitcoin. Okay. The, the common response to that is, oh, Bitcoin started centralized. There was only one node and it was Satoshi and then it decentralized. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it. These DeFi projects are starting as a company, a for-profit company with an intention to generate profit and to build its valuation so that investors can exit eventually. Okay, that's a completely different idea than Satoshi with one node starts mining. Opposite, actually. So, you know, all the major projects are in have started in that way uh, outside of Uniswap, actually. Uniswap is one of the very few, possibly the only one that started with, you know what, we're going to build this thing, we're going to throw away the key, and we're not going to, in V1 at least, we're not going to have a token, we're not going to have governance. It's a tool. It's a simple tool. It's decentralized. And 
Now, V2 came along, and they're like, oh, maybe we should have a token. Maybe we should have a little bit of fun. I'm terrified about what V3 is going to be, and I'm really concerned that V3 is going to require trust. V1 and V2 did not, and the governance in V2 does not create a trust issue, in my, in my opinion, based on what it can do. Um, but I think that's our biggest problem. We don't have enough projects in DeFi that are starting from decentralization, building something that is selfless, that is not seeking profit, that is for the good of humanity. And then maybe they're looking at like, okay, maybe that we can, I think Uniswap did it right with V2. Their governance is kind of screwed up right now, but I think that they were right in like trying to add a way that they might be able to, to build something out of it that didn't affect the, the core code the protocol the you know the, the governance cannot do anything like what you know they can't shut it down like maker you know they can't change oracles like compound you know it's like so that's to me that's critical in building the space we have to it's have just laziness to start. it's truly just it's laziness. not laziness man it's profit it's it's startups it's silicon valley it's vcs and it's profit seeking it's rent seeking and that's but they're not even doing is. what's in their own best interest they, the sec could not be clear they could not be more clear than the term sufficiently decentralized. It is not in your best interest, as someone that's performing light regulatory arbitrage, like stable coins, like a lot of these DeFi protocols, it is not in the best interest of the users or the VCs or the developers to get their doors kicked in. It's not. So sufficient decentralization is a requirement of anybody that wants to be in the space and has a brain and wants to keep their money. It, it just, it's in the best interest of all parties involved to not have this stupid admin key shit. Here's the thing, right? It's very easy to solve the admin key thing. Super easy, right? Instead of, you just do what Uniswap did. You don't have an admin key. And when the new better thing comes out, the humans distributed, decentralized, they choose to upgrade to the new thing one by one. Okay, you guys like the V2 better than the V1? You need to move your liquidity over because we don't have the power to do it for you. That's the only thing you're doing. You're taking the locus of control for upgrades to the users one by one over time so that you have time to catch bugs as well. It's beautiful. You scale in, right? Just like when you're braking at a stoplight, you ease into it instead of just jacking on the brakes. They did it the right way. You do not need the centralized admin key crap. Let the users move to the new better thing. You don't need some single party entity that can be like, hey, I'm changing everything at once for everyone. It's stupid. I agree with that. I think that the problem is the complexity of what projects like Compound are trying to do. And they created this complexity themselves. And you know, the argument has been, without the admin key, how are we ever going to be able to adjust interest rates? How can we possibly change the oracles? Like, you know, we, we're in a part of default where things are changing so quickly that we need to have the ability to do these things. But my question is, do we need those things? Like, do we need, do we need that level of complexity in DeFi right now? Could we build, could Compound be, I would love somebody to answer this for me. Is there a way to build Compound without an admin key in a way where it could survive for more than six months? I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. But I would like to know, because if there is, somebody please build it. <laughs> like somebody, you know, please do it. And, you know, with, with a lot of these, um, and then you look, I mean, that's compound is one, it's complex, but it's simple compared to, you know, um, what Yearn is doing, right? And stuff like Harvest, which you look at what they're doing, it's like, oh, God, there's so many different things going on here. And then you look at, 
some of these other projects and it's like there's just so many like you said attack vectors you know it's like it's unbelievable well um why why is nobody why is nobody forking this stuff like i was thinking the other day why is nobody forking uniswap without the governance like why why are we not getting offered an option to go back to v2 without the governance like nobody's stepping up to do i wish i could code. well we kind of have that oh. it's called v1 V1 is great, but yeah, I mean, there were big improvements with V2 in the way that, that transactions were conducted and we didn't have to go through ETH on every single thing. So um, I mean, but there's also bugs in that that people just don't realize they're there. So yeah. they don't give the same priority to non-ETH pairs as they do to ETH pairs. And so there's certain certain pairs of thing to other thing that are just getting like harvested and, and kind of nuked because of the behavior of the routing contract. So it's like... Right. It's, you know, this stuff, it's not easy. It's really hard stuff. Yeah, I know. But getting, you know, back, back to what you said, like decentralization is, is, and trustlessness are the key, you know? And um, until we figure that out, DeFi, I mean, DeFi is inherently these savings tools and these interest rates and these, that's what DeFi has become. You know, even what you're working on is focused on, you know, interest rates and et cetera, et cetera. And if, if like, we could just be limited to these native tools, um, you know, do we want to give up on, on mainstream adoption? Do we want to give up on, on all these other things where, you know, um, we would have to go outside of just, you know, the sort of our native cryptocurrencies that we're all used to. And we would have to open up our doors beyond that. And we need oracles for that. And this, and the other thing, and big questions here. I don't know the answers to, I, I would love to see a day. My goal is, is trustlessness, like remove the trust, however we can do it, get there. Like that's where we need to end up. Um, Getting I, rid of I, that I billion dollar risk would be really good for the whole world. Seriously. <laughs> so just a point well, here, down to all 400, the, 400 million now, right? All this so. talking that we're doing, it's fabulous. We're making people smarter, blah, blah, blah. The win, the win of this conversation is take your money out of unaudited contracts, anonymous founder contracts, unsafe things. There's more than enough crap for you to FOMO in the safer world. You, you don't have to live on the bleeding edge where people lose hundreds of millions of bucks. You don't have to live there. So yeah. It, Stop risking all of your money. Stop. <clears throat> I tweeted today. Out of this top ten here, uh, two can drain. I, I mentioned this earlier. RenVM and Harvest can drain seven hundred fifty million dollars, like today, if they wanted to, or an attacker could, if they somebody grabbed them, threatened them with a wrench, and said, "Do this, or I'm going to kill you." Um, WBTC is a bank. <laughs> that that PayPal's about to buy, right? You know, then you got everything other than Uniswap, which has governance uh, functions that could fundamentally change the product uh, based on the token holders' will and wishes. And by the way, token holders is probably between these six products is probably like thirty people who control it all. Just to throw that out there, I could be exaggerating that, but and you're probably Uniswap. close. <laughs> and then Uniswap, which is kind of in a, on its own, you know, as a trustless uh, protocol. And even Uniswap is kind of, you know, depends on which liquidity pool you're in. You could be in a Uniswap. Plenty of people have been in Uniswap pools and got rugged, right? So just because you're using Uniswap doesn't mean you're safe. But the protocol, the, the, the code itself uh, does what it's meant to do without human interference. 
So, um, and that's the state of, of DeFi right now. We've got a long ass way to go, man. I would love to see some more trustless protocols up here, but we're just not seeing it yet. So you know, I agree a hundred percent with everything you just said, and you're the only guy out there yelling it. So I really do appreciate what you're doing. There's two guys that are really out there working, trying to get people safer. Some of the Ethereum guys that run the phishing networks that alert you to like, Hey, you're, you're trying to get scammed right now. They're trying to steal all your stuff. So you're working on the admin keys. Nobody seems to be caring or working about oracles. They all seem to be scared to talk about it. I seem to be the only guy t yelling about the oracles. You're yelling about the admin keys. We got guys yelling about the phishing and that like triumvirate is about the best we can do. I think. Well, yeah. And then eventually we got to start talking about user interfaces because that's probably, it's probably the next big story. I think that user interface, and we've already seen it um, where there's these man in the middle type attacks where people just, we've already seen it like everywhere. Like there's fake Uniswap, there's fake everything. Um, but there's going to be a big one. I just have a weird feeling um, that something bad is going to happen with that soon. Um, maybe a domain hijacking or maybe like who knows why it could be anything like we rely on on dns servers for DeFi to work you know it's like it's it's scary um so yeah okay like let's wrap this up anybody have any final thoughts on i think what the most interesting thing we established here today was was really um that DeFi, at least as far as everybody here right now and everybody i believe in the chat nobody's really voiced an opposing view to this is that code is law like code is law in DeFi. you know the code is is going to define our ethics or lack thereof it's going to define what's allowable and what's not it's going to be that way from now for eternity you know and yes there's going to be ways that uh you can manipulate that code but we can't let that slow us down we can't let that we can't get into this like idea of like we need to set rules. You are not allowed to run an arbitrage smart contract that does you know that can drain more than a, uh, half a million dollars. Like what? Who's going to listen to that? There's no way to code that. There's no way for that to work. And Richard in the beginning brought up the time uh, what is time it? weighted time, average price time TWAP. weighted average price TWAP, which is a really interesting. Is anybody using this other than your world every single legacy entity uses it period uh, but in DeFi, I mean. all okay. feud no in in DeFi right now i know some people that are building something that uses it but in actual production i don't know anyone that's like actually using it it's which and is crazy if, because you have to or it's not safe in the in the case of like what happened with harvest if harvest so would harvest be able to make that decision on their own or would they also have to like all their liquidity providers from outside like also have to buy into that idea would it have to be across the board or could it be on a project by project knowing that they're all connected? if you had like if you're already subject to oracle risk anyway it almost doesn't i mean so if you if you're using oracles then the oracles can lie to you and or they can be attacked with uh price manipulation by whales or flash loans so a, a time-weighted average price would have to be implemented by their Oracle or they could do it on their end, but it's just easier since your Oracle is already centralized anyway, then they could do the computation cheaper. So it'd be more efficient and easy to implement at the Oracle level. It's actually a lot harder to do it at the decentralized protocol level because you have to call the contract and write data at whatever frequency your TWAP's occurring. 
which I would okay. suggest 30 minutes because that's what the industry standard and in margin trading is. This is this true? Does anybody know? Is that true? About Uniswap? Nobody knows. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to look into it, though. Um, I do remember reading something about them using some sort of averaging process for the prices. Um, but I they wrote know. a sample TWAP code in their GitHub that you can just read. It's there. Okay. <clears throat> okay, gotcha. All right, cool. Any any final words, gentlemen? Uh, it's been a good chat. We went all over the place. It was erratic, but I think that we solved our initial mission, and we also got into this whole separate risk conversation, trustlessness. It was fun. I think that's what this uh, should be all about. So I think it's a miracle we all agree, and it's obvious what should happen, because <laughs> what are the chances you get six guys on the screen and they all agree in crypto? That's like zero. It never <laughs> happens. So this is a miracle, in my opinion. Crazy, right? Crazy. I, I just wonder if like we're the only ones that, that if the people who feel this way are the ones that care enough to come here and give their opinion. I still feel like the majority of DeFi users would disagree with us, but we have sort of a specialized crowd here. Um, so we, we have some convincing to do. Um, yeah, the only thing I'd like to add to this is that, um, you know, I think code is law is the natural consequence of having uh, you know, these protocols that are sovereign to the internet and not sovereign to a nation state. Um, so that's the only like authority we can appeal to is the code. Um, and so it's almost by that fact that code has to be law because there is no other law keeper. Um, and then Unless you have an admin key, right? Then I mean, <laughs> there is a keeper, so to speak. I have another, I have another point that just came into my head. We're assuming human agency in regards to these arbitrage transactions. And I just explained miner extracted value MEV where miners are going to front run everybody's and take out all the EV. So you won't have like a stay at home, like ARB guys. That's all going to be automated by AI or well implemented code. And then you're going to have these, uh, hacks, hacks. They're not really hacks, but these profitable opportunities are going to be getting done automated. And then what's your ethics on an automated machine that just extracts value, right? Like good luck getting it to care about its reputational, right? Right. Absolutely. It's just a matter of time, right? Until people can, uh, you know, especially with layer two and ETH2 and all this stuff threatening to lower gas costs and make things easier to do on Ethereum. Why not? Why not just run these things? You know, if it's, if you know, you're eventually going to make 20 million bucks, why not just pop these transactions out? Like does, does all that lower the resistance to spam? I don't know. This whole separate conversation. I just um, hope that this attack will make things stronger in the long run and that, that there will be certainly some people that have learned from this and will go through this and maybe they will check some contracts. It's not going to make everyone. You can see that there's still half the money is still in harvest, but you know, more than half has been taken out. Maybe I'm not sure it was taken out. I think maybe they just, well, the value of their crap token went down. I think probably people just left it there still. I'm not sure. As far as I'm aware, withdrawals are still allowed and much of the funds are in stable coins. But you're right, if it's in harvest tokens, the harvest token has dropped dramatically, I don't know, like down 50, 60%. So yeah, it could be partly that. But I think there were stable coins in there and I suspect there must have been some withdrawals and hopefully they will think twice going forward. There were a lot of withdrawals. Go to zero, take it to zero, boys. Fork it and without the admin crap. Seriously, it's open source, right? Fork it without the admin crap, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Time will tell. Um, thank you, guys. This has been a good chat. Um, thanks, everybody, in the chat. 
you were great. Sorry for having to put so many of you in timeout, but you were breaking the rules. And uh, I guess that's what comes with having Richard on. Yeah, but you get three times the viewers that you'd otherwise get, too. (laughs) I mean, they're basically shilling to themselves. They're two-thirds of the audience. (laughs) Cool. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining, and we'll be back again soon. Remember, survivingdefi.substack.com. Thanks.